This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. You know, there's nothing like that feeling you get when you come to the end of a terrific book. You linger over that last page, you put the book down, and then the first thing you want to do is go tell somebody about it. Oh, I know that one. Yeah? You had that experience lately, Grant? It's a 12-year-old book, but it's surprising how relevant it still is. It's Primary Colors by Joe Klein. Actually, he Mm -hmm. wrote it under the pseudonym of Anonymous, and it's kind of a, a masked story about the first run for the White House by Bill Clinton. Right. And it's fiction. There's a lot of fictional elements in it, but also there's a, an underpinning of history that really gave it a lot of resonance during the, the recent Hillary Clinton campaign. So it was just really interesting to read it. And he, he really, truly has a way with words. I, there were a couple pages in there I had to read several times, not because I didn't understand them, but because I said to myself, how did he do that? How did he make me feel that way? What was the magic that he had? And he had it. It was great. And you, you've got one of those? Well, it's not an entire book, Grant, but I just read this short story by Tobias Wolf, and it's about this curmudgeonly book critic who goes to a bank, and he gets involved in the middle of an armed bank robbery. And the short story is called Bullet in the Brain. And so, of course, as you can imagine, there's a lot of dramatic tension, and it's a really taut narrative. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, there's a moment in this story that I think is one of the most marvelous evocations of what it's like to be young and suddenly start marveling at the beauty and the glory of language itself. It's a little surprise in the story, and I don't want to give any more away than that, but uh, it really knocked my socks off. So it's Tobias Wolf, and the name of the story is? The name of the story is Bullet in the Brain. And although I hate to cut into any author's book sales, you can find it online. That's where I read it. Okay. Well, we'll look for it. I'm sure we can find it with no problem. If you'd like to talk to us about your favorite books or grammar, language, slang, word origins, or just a particularly great piece of prose that struck you as really important or powerful, we want to hear about it. Call us one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Joel from Decatur, Illinois. Hi, Joel. Hi, Joel. What's up? Uh, I've got a question about um, the word suicide. Okay. Yeah, uh, but not as it refers to its literal meaning. Um, when uh, when I was a little kid, uh, my brother and I would go to a convenience store or a fast food place where you could fill up your own soda Mm -hmm. and when you put different types of soda into your glass uh that was called a suicide and i thought that was just something my brother and i said but uh i guess it's not everybody i know says that and i was just wondering how that word got attached to doing that oh wow so when you were a little kid do you mind me asking how long ago that was uh that was well i'm I'm 35 now, so, you know, so another, you st- <laughs> uh, at least half that ago. Do you still drink suicides now? No, no. I, I, I prefer the uh, the purity of uh, 
<laughs> of uh, of Mountain Coke Dew. And, and unhealthy products. <laughs> right. So you're saying you you would go down the line and uh, you do the Pepsi, Mountain Dew, the Fanta, the whatever, sure, Doctor Pill, fill everything, Dr. fill your glass with everything. Oh my gosh, right. that sounds disgusting. Well, it is, and that's why I don't do it anymore. But of course, when you're a kid, you know anything sweet tastes good enough. And would you drink the whole thing? Uh, yeah, usually because my mom would make me. <laughs> right. If you, yeah, right. If you're if you're going to prepare the dish, you better be prepared to eat it. Right. Exactly. And if exactly. your brother's going to drink it, you're of course going to drink yours. Oh, absolutely. Well, he was my older brother, so I did everything he did. Oh. <laughs> well, we did the same thing when I worked in fast food, and this would be more than twenty. This would be twenty-two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I worked there, so we would do this, and we, and we called them suicides as well. And this oh. was in Missouri. So I know that it's at least that old. And and I have a little bit of information about this. Some people call it bug juice, and other okay. people call it swamp juice. But the reason it's called a suicide is simply because it seems it looks like a poisonous mixture, doesn't it? Usually yeah. it's got a weird kind of, uh, I, I hate to say this, but almost the color of mucus or pus, right? <laughs> it looks poisonous. Because you mix these odd colors together, and it, is not, it, it looks vaguely like industrial cleaner. True, very true. Something that you're going to put on the floor and clean the tiles with, and not something you're going to put in your mouth. I think this sounds completely disgusting. What I want to know is, is this, <laughs> uh, is this something that, that little girls do too, or is this a little boy thing? Well, um, you'd have to answer that. I don't know. I, I it, never... sounds, it sounds like something gross that little boys would do, but it I does, don't know that I ever it? saw a girl do it. Yeah, I, I never did it, and my friends, I mean, I never even heard the term suicide soda. Although, since growing up and, and you know, doing research, I mean, I've, I've seen the expression graveyard soda. I've seen them called shipwrecks and hurricanes. Huh. Wait, these are the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, just oh, a whole I don't bunch know of those things. Terms. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if there's any suicide soda that tastes good. Well, what you could do, if you didn't do quite all of them, I would often take all the white sodas and mix them or all the black sodas and mix mm. them. And that's, that's a, you know, you get something very citrusy that's not quite identifiable as a particular kind of drink. It's just, it's just different, you know, variety. Uh, but these days, water will do. I take some water out of the bathroom and some water out of the kitchen, <laughs> and then I mix them, a little bottled water, and then I have a suicide water drink. It's great. Well, so, Joel, you're right. It wasn't just you and your brother. This is a popular um, pastime among little boys, at least. <laughs> I guess so. At well, least for Joel, a couple of times, Joel, right? I hope that we get some information from our, our listeners about this, and if we do, we'll be sure to post it to the website, all right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Thank all you, right. Sarah. Cheers. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too. <laughs> bye bye. Bottoms up. <laughs> Martha, you never did. You were like a little prissy thing, right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was. I was a, a teenage prude. Call us one eight one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Max calling from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Max! Hiya, hiya, Max. What's going on? How are you all today? Doing fine. Super. Cool. I am calling to ask you guys about a word that's thrown around a lot in computer nerd gaming circles. The word is spelled Mm P-W-N. And I now pronounce the word pwn. Well, it sounds like there's a story here. You used to pronounce it a different way? (laughs) Yes, I did. Um, I first heard this word either probably when I was a senior in high school or a freshman in college. I'm now a senior in college, so it's, I've been using the word maybe four or five years now. And um, when I first heard it, my friends 
pronounced it poon, as if poon. just just mm-hmm. like it looks, just poon, with no vowel. Um, and then when I got to college, um, I started dating a girl that played the game Counter-Strike, and she corrected me and said, no, no, pwn. Uh-huh. Oh, was that yeah. an embarrassing moment? <laughs> um, and the word means to very uh, to completely and fully dominate someone. Mm-hmm. Right. To own somebody. Right, to own them, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, my understanding has always been that it's just a spin from the word own. But I would like to know what the, the actual, in fact, true origin of this word is, because I've heard a couple of stories, but I don't know the actual origin of how pwn came around. The One of them that you probably heard, which is the correct one, is that it comes from a common and repeated mistyping of the word own, O-W-N, right? Correct, yes. That mm-hmm. is the correct story. Anything else that you've heard isn't true. So, so it's not I'm, I'm, from I'm, the game Counter-Strike or any other particular well, game? Well, I've run into this numerous times with these different gaming communities, and they all believe that their culture is so rich and fertile that they must be the source of all this lingo. And yet you'll find again and again that some of these words, including pwn, existed years, even decades before these games were even even invented or the companies that, that, that coded them were even founded. And, really? Um, yes, you'll often find that as the case. And I'm talking in general here about this kind of computer language. Pwn, as far as I know... Uh, came about in the last 10 years or so. It could have come from Counter-Strike, but I don't think that there's any evidence supporting that. So, Matt, for those of us who who aren't in college or aren't gamers, how would you use it in a sentence? Oh, see, I mean, it comes up quite frequently in my circle of friends. You know, say um, somebody says something stupid and somebody else calls them out on it, then they just got pwned. Right. Or if it's something, like, really huge, like you just gave a presentation in class, I guess, and were completely wrong about something the entire way through it, and somebody calls you out on it, that might be epic ponage. <laughs> epic Epic takes it to the next level of oh ponage. So somebody would say to you, you've been pwned, or what would they right. say? Yeah, you yep, got exactly pwned, that. you got epically pwned. You got yep. epically pwned. Wow. I knew that there were multiple pronunciations <laughs> for it, but pwn is the one that I've heard most often, too. But to me... Max, to me, the most interesting part of this is own, the original slang that it comes from, right. where you could use to use own to mean I own you. And that's actually the, the language they'll use, I own you, you know, um, meaning I, I control you. And right. that, we do know, comes from hacker subculture, and it comes from getting root on somebody's box. And I know that sounds naughty, but what? it's not. Wait a it, it means getting administrative access to somebody else's computer illicitly or illegally so that you can do whatever you want over oh. the network or over the internet to their machine. That is so fascinating. you own that machine, meaning it, it is literally within your control, and that is the origin of own. So, so pwn, P-W-N, the typo for own, is actually only like the latest iteration of that particular kind of slang chain. That is really cool. <laughs> well, Matt, thanks for calling. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Interesting question. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Grant, you pwned that question. Pwned. You totally pwned, pwned that question. I pwned you. Now, Grant, this brings up an interesting question for me. Are there, and I bet we could hear from listeners about this, are there words that you intentionally, remember when we talked about intentionally mispronouncing words, are there words that you intentionally misspell in email because I do that? Oh, yeah, you do that all the time. 
No, those you, are accidents when I'm writing you. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you you misspell cool on purpose. Oh, I misspell cool, K E W L, just mm-hmm. just because cool. it has a different sound. Q. Well, and actually, think it more accurately reflects the one of the California pronunciations of the word. Exactly, Q. Cool. And I know friends that misspell dude, D U D E, to be a D O O D because people in in the West tend to say dude or dude. Sounds it sounds. I'm exaggerating here, but it's more like dude oh, rather really? than dude. Oh, yeah, really? there's a different vowel sound there. So oh, sometimes people do that to reflect the way they actually say it. Sometimes they do it to reflect um, the joking nature. It's a, it's a tip-off, really, isn't yeah. it, that you're, that you're not being altogether serious and the thing is uh, informal. Exactly. I used to have a cat named Typo, and he— Because um, he would dance on your keyboard. He did the first day I got him. <laughs> he, he typed 66666. But, um, but I, I misspelled his name once in an email— as mm-hmm. tie-up, and I just thought that was so perfect. So anytime I email somebody about typo, I would, I would write tie-up. <laughs> and I'm just betting that a lot of people out there do that same kind of thing. I'd love to hear about it. You can call us at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email. That would probably be better if you're going to send us a typo. <laughs> Two words at waywardradio.org. Up next on Away With Words, stay tuned for a word puzzle. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And we're joined once again by our very own personal quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, Martha. Hello, Grant. Hiya, John. What's up? I am the puzzle guy on retainer for... Away with words. I'm your personal, your own very personal puzzle guy. <laughs> I've yeah. got a problem with the traffic ticket. Can you take care of that? I'll do what I can. And uh, the Sunday puzzle has been giving some problems. Can you look into that for me? <laughs> well, I'll just do it for you. That's, oh, okay, uh, that's how yeah. it works with uh, with my with my mom. I just okay. do it for her. So. Yeah, let's fax you the crossword and you'll send it back filled out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So the retainer really does work. There you go. Sure. Wow, great. Now, uh, do you guys remember when I took you on a USA puzzle hunt one time? I gave you a clue, and that led to a city, and there you found another puzzle, and that answer led to another city, and we went oh, all over the country. That road trip, yeah. I think it's time for the Martha and Grant World Tour. Wow. Oh, yeah. How about that? So here's an international puzzle hunt. The answer to each clue will be the name of a country, and once you're there, I'll give you another clue, and we'll race around the world to find, I don't know, something. Okay. A, a special prize. Okay. Oh, I know. Okay. A solid gold MacGuffin. How's that? All right, <laughs> all right, Good. right. right. Wow. Do you do you have your passports? Yes. Yes. Good. You don't have any liquids on you, do you? Because that'll be a problem. Uh, Only three ounces or less. Right. That's fine. Good, good. <laughs> Here we go. You're going to start your puzzle hunt in a North American country whose name becomes that of a three-dimensional shape when its last letter is changed. Whoa. A North American country. Yeah. There are only North three. <laughs> Think again. Oh, well, if you count all the Caribbean islands. Wait, you say this again, John? North American country. Whose name becomes that of a three-dimensional shape. Cuba. That's it. Right. You change the last letter to an E and you get... Cube. Cube, right. Yes, we will start from Havana. Havana. Right. Oh, gracious. Okay. Now there, you're handed an envelope and inside is the following clue. Go to a South American country whose name is Spanish for a well-known feature of the earth. Ecuador. Ecuador is correct. Ooh, Grant. The country is located right on this ter- terrestrial feature. You're on your way to Quito, Ecuador. The second you arrive there, you see a huge banner at the airport announcing, Welcome radio hosts. It also says the following. 
Your next stop is a European country whose name is a perfect anagram of Meg Ryan. <laughs> Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. Germany. Germany is right. Oh, Let's, good. Very good, Grant. Let's go to Berlin. When you arrive, you see two creepy little twin girls who robotically chant the following clue. Head for an African nation consisting of many islands. The country's name, if the first vowel sound is changed, answers the question, what does she sell at the seashore? Oh, the Seychelles. S-E-Y-C-H-E-L-L-E-S, right? Right. You didn't yeah. have to spell wow. it, but you did. Very you get good. Well, extra, it's radio. It helps to spell extra, things. Extra credit. Seashells, Seychelles. It's off to Victoria in the Seychelles. There you are greeted by the country's cultural attaché. Appropriately, he's carrying an attaché case containing this clue. The two of you must split up. Go to two island nations. Both are in the North Atlantic. Both of their names are seven letters long, yet the names differ by only one letter. They do? Yeah. North Atlantic. North Atlantic. Oh, Ireland and Iceland. That is correct. Oh, my gosh. Grant left me in an airport restroom <laughs> four countries ago. No, no Martha said, I'm not going on a trip. She's like, she bailed. She's in Bermuda. She's got a, she's got a cold drink, and, and she's like, see ya. Full umbrella. <laughs> no, no, she's still with us. She gets the frequent flyer miles still. Okay, now who wants to go where? Who wants to go to Dublin, and who wants to go to Reykjavik? I'll go to Reykjavik. Oh, that's good. Okay. When you arrive, your fillings begin picking up radio transmissions that say... Head for another island nation, this one in Oceania. Its name has three dotted letters in a row. Well, how about that? <laughs> yeah. How many of those are there? Hmm. Dotted well, letters? Yes. You mean like with a double diaresis over them? No. I think he's thinking about letter I's. Oh. <laughs> or J's, J's and I's. Sorry, I've been reading too many New Yorkers. Um, <laughs> J's and I's? Oh, we... like Fiji, you mean? Fiji, Fiji is correct, is. yes. You are in the capital of Suva. Of course, in the New Yorker, the word coordinate has dots over it. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Okay, you're getting tired. So luckily, when sleep, you arrive there, sleep. Sleep. your final <laughs> clue is delivered by Pigeon. It reads, travel to a small African nation whose name, if split into two words, might be commonly found scrawled on a restaurant order. Wow. It's only four letters long. Four letters. To go. Togo. Togo is right. (laughs) You end up in Lome, the capital of Togo, which is appropriate since you got to go to so many wonderful places. (laughs) Don't forget to pick up your MacGuffin at the duty-free shop. Thank you very much, guys. (laughs) Yay! Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm applauding because I got I, I was nailing them, but that's all right. John, that was great. I think that I have jet tremendous. lag. That Thanks was, very much. That was yeah. fun. <laughs> take, like I said, take a rest. You guys earned it. You were terrific. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. And Grant, do you have any melatonin on you? <laughs> no, I got suntan lotion. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you'd like to try to puzzle us with a question about language, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's one eight seven seven nine two nine W O R D. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Marie Selena calling from Durham, North Carolina. So what's on your mind today, language wise, Marie? I was wondering about uh, the word stat. S T A T. 
Mm-hmm. And then not, not, a physician would say the word um, scalpel stat or something to that extent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Do you watch a lot of TV shows like ER and that kind of thing? Well, yes, yes, and I'm a physician myself. Ah. So I always wondered where that word originated from. Mm-hmm. So this is something you use every day, right? No, not not really. It's usually... Are you a dermatologist uh, or something? No. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a leisurely uh, profession, right, <laughs> compared to some of them. Okay, so you don't oh, work in an ER. Some pimple cream right away. <laughs> well, usually, I, I have actually rarely heard it uh, said in real life. Really? Uh, you hear it much more on the, t- on the doctor shows said than in an ER or an intensive care unit. Um, it's much. It's written more often than than said. Mm-hmm. So you need a a certain lab uh, stat, which mm-hmm. means every, any other lab that's being uh, drawn that needs to take priority, or if you need a certain medication stat. Right. Um, but I, I've really rarely ever heard it verbally said in real life. Oh, really? Yeah, I knew that those TV shows were all wrong. Thank you for confirming that. There's no way that every episode they could have a man whose like head was detached to the shoulders and then magically sewn back on and he walked home, you know? There's always like some like miracle. It's just impossible, right? You're on to them. Yeah, more mundane than that. Well, Marie, I'm really glad you asked this question because there's a really simple answer. And you might think that it's an acronym or something, you know, like stop that and treat. Or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not though, right? No, it's not. But the answer is really easy. It comes from the Latin word statim, which means immediately. S T A T I M, right? Right. Oh, how about that? So Marie, we're delighted that you asked us such an easy question. <laughs> That's always nice for a change. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Doctor. We appreciate your call. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. I I have some friends, Martha, who've done medical schooling, and most of the schools that I've heard of offer a class in Greek and Latin roots just for this very reason, so that the doctors can like have a little kind of head start in in interpreting language that they don't encounter that often. Oh, they absolutely should. That's a great idea. There's so many medical terms that are so vivid if you know the meaning. You know that the amygdala, they're tucked inside your brain, that little organ. Yeah. It uh, comes from the from the Greek word for almond. And if you know that, then it's it's easy to remember. Of course, oh, you have I, to learn Greek to know that. <laughs> I, w- I always just think of Princess Amidala from the Star Wars movies, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have a question about language, call us STAT. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-929-WORD, or you can send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Pat from San Diego. Hiya, Pat. What's going on? I just had a question that I was uh, interested in uh, relating to um, the weather out here when we're, when we're fishing off the offshore in San Diego. Sunny and clear. <laughs> yeah, sunny and clear right now. <laughs> but uh, sometimes the ocean acts up a bit, and uh, people out here will refer to it as, as snotty weather. By acting up, you mean what exactly? Well, usually uh, we're, we'll be talking about uh, uh, rather large swells and maybe white caps and, and wind uh, uh, getting above 10, 15 knots in that range. I'm digging around here, and I find some uses of snotty in this way from 1985. I have no doubt that it's earlier, 
Um, and all of the uses are pretty consistent with what you have to say. It doesn't require that it be cold. It doesn't seem to mean weather that will put snot on your face. But there is a certain amount in the sailor tradition of personifying the weather as an opponent or somebody who does not wish you well. Oh. And I'm wondering here, and I don't see any direct evidence of this, but I'm wondering here if it's just not like an extension of the idea of the weather as an entity, you know, this being or creature or some kind of spirit. And maybe you can just, you can give it traits. You can say that it has traits that are human-like, like being snotty, which might be, in this case, unhelpful or haughty or uncaring or disdainful. Yeah. I got to say, the, the sailing slang and the sailing language is always interesting to me. And Patrick, I want to thank you for sharing this one with us. This is pretty cool. Snotty weather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we'll keep our, keep our ears out for that. I love that. I wonder... Grant, do you think this uh, this term is going to make landfall? You think Wait, we'll, we'll, right, we'll have people in landlocked states using it on the nightly news? <laughs> yeah, Maybe. yeah, our traffic reports, you know. Tra- <laughs> There's a lot of congestion because of the snotty weathers. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, it's anyway. a little relative, too. You know, it was, I heard it on uh, Deadliest Catch the other, other day, that television show on Disco- Discovery, mm-hmm. or Discovery Channel. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, the... They were in the Bering Sea, and there was 20-foot swells, and the wind was just blowing the top off of the waves. And, and then, you know, they showed this 100-foot boat going up and down and up and down. And, and sure enough, you know, they, the deckhand just looked out. He's in, he's in the uh, foul-weather gear, and he goes, yep, the ocean's a bit snotty today. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's fabulous. All right. Stupendous, Patrick. Um, thank you so much, and uh, good fishing. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Snotty weather. I love that. I love your idea of the ocean being personified. That makes I'm imagining those maps where you have the winds in the four corners and there's these, you know, these <laughs> faces with these puffed-up cheeks, right, trying to and blow you off course. Noses, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> if you've got a question or just want to tell us about a cool word that you've been seeing a lot lately, we want to hear it. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. Uh, my name is Sam Lee from San Diego. Hello, Sam. Hi, Sam. What's going on? Um, well, I have a question that's been bugging me for uh, a few years. Um, well, actually, longer than that. But um, every so often, I'll see a word that I know is spelled correctly, but in that moment, it just seems to be spelled wrong. Um, for example, uh, one time I was driving down the road, I saw a stop sign, and I could swear the word stop looked wrong. <laughs> And more recently, um, I was looking at a web page, and I saw the word pediatrics. And I know in my head that it's spelled right. I can, I know that it's right. It just looks to my eye wrong, just in that moment. Is there a name for this phenomenon? Hmm. I am not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this might be a question for a, psych- a psychologist, but, you know. Well, this is something I've come across a little bit in, in some of the books that I have. There's a general overall term for the inability to understand words or speech. And it's used in a lot of different ways which, with a lot of different modifiers. And it's aphasia, A-P-H-A-S-I-A, aphasia. And so what you'll find often is that they'll, they'll, doctors will describe it as a type of aphasia. And so they'll get that allows it to be more specific. Um, in this case, it might be something like a receptive aphasia, which is the inability to understand written or spoken language. Hmm. The problem here is that these terms, and I have others, they, they tend to be used to describe 
ongoing conditions and not momentary conditions. So yeah, and some we, kind of pathology. Yeah, you mm-hmm. need a way to indicate that it's occasional or temporary. And I maybe you could call it occasional receptive aphasia, and maybe a doctor would say, okay, I get that. I understand that that's what that is. I don't know. But without being a doctor, I'm not 100% sure. But um, the reason I offer you the word aphasia is that is a great word to use to look up in the text to see if you can find out more information about this and find out if there's a legitimate term. All right. Hmm. Well, you know, Sam, I mean, Grant from time to time uses his gnarly foot theory. I I like that just as well. Yeah. Do you know that one, Sam? Uh, No. That's if you stare at a word long enough, it begins to look wrong. Yeah, I um, I come across that when you see a list of the same word, um, like that word pediatrics. It was just a lot, uh, a whole page of that word just coming after names. And it's, as I kept looking down the line, it started looking more wrong and wrong and wronger. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there were a few others. One, uh, a few other words: acatamathesia, a c a t a m a t h e s i a, and this is from a Greek word meaning a thorough understanding. It's a form of aphasia, and it also means a loss of understanding or an absence of a response to, say, something that you're looking at or something that you're listening to. But oh. the problem with that is it's usually a result of a psychotic disturbance. So, <laughs> well, oh, that's comforting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're well, talking you know, about that. As long that. as the psychosis is only lasting, you know, half a second or so, you're fine, right? Yeah, Never. exactly. You know, maybe there's someone listening who can. Uh, Give us a more specific word for this. Oh, sure. We have doctors in the audience. I know we do. We do. Is there a doctor in the audience? <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. All right. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Sam. Sam. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, we'd love to take your calls about your condition. Come, come and report your health to us. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine word or you can send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Earlier in the show, we were talking about books that we just couldn't wait to tell people about. So, Grant, I'm wondering what's next on your reading list? What book are you just champing at the bit to read? There's a series of books by Neil Stevenson. The first one is called Quicksilver, and these are monster fat tomes. I guess you'd call them historical fiction. He does have a bunch of real characters in there, old alchemists and early philosophers set in the 1600s in the New World and in the Old World. Um, and I tried to read it once before, but I could only get like about 100 pages in. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is a waste of my time. But people <laughs> keep telling me I need to read this book. And so I'm going to give it a shot. But what about you? What, what's on your nightstand? Well, on my nightstand right now is Collected Fictions by Jorge Luis Borges, the great Argentinian writer. And the reason that I got this book is because I read a short story by Borges. This is a collection of them. And I read one called The Gospel According to Mark. Have you read this story? I haven't, no. Oh, man. It's such a great story. I was just reading a lot. You know, it's, it takes place in the countryside of Argentina, and I'm interested in that. And I was just reading along, reading along, no idea where the author is going until the very last word. And then it left me gasping. And I had to go back over the whole short story. It was it was truly amazing. So now I want to recast the entire book for you. Yeah, yeah, the entire the entire story. I just, you know, I was just kind of going along and then all of a sudden, boom. And uh, so I'm very eager to see what else he can do like that. So it's uh, Collected Fictions by Jorge Luis Borges. 
And again, the book that I mentioned was Neil Stevenson's Quicksilver. If you'd like to talk to us about good writing and how to do it or any other aspect of language, call us, 1-877-929-9673. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Coming up next, it's a quiz about words from the edges of English. Stay tuned. Support for Away With Words comes from WordSmart, the vocabulary-building software. Improving your vocabulary, reading comprehension, and critical thinking skills will increase your chances for success. Learn more online at wordsmart.tv. And from iUniverse, supported self-publishing. Is there a book in you? Find out how to publish it at 1-800-AUTHORS or learn more online at iUniverse.com. Hi, you're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And it's time for another slang quiz. Grant, today's contestant for Slang This is Andrea Carla Michaels from San Francisco. Well, hello, Andrea. Hi. Hey, Andrea. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I understand that you're a crossword puzzler and that you were at that national tournament this spring. Yes, um, they, Will Shorts used one of my puzzles as the opening puzzle, um, the easy one <laughs> to get people going. <laughs> and Why? it was sort of the highlight of my life to, to watch 699 people doing my puzzle. I had never even seen one person doing one. Hmm. So that was the highlight of your life, and it's all downhill from here. Until and... today. <laughs> well, I was going to say. Oh, what's happening later? <laughs> We're not part of your downhill slide, right? <laughs> Well, how about a slang word for us? Your price of admission for this game, Andrea, is telling us your favorite slang word. Oh, well, I was thinking uh, when I was growing up in Minnesota, I don't know if this is technically slang, but uh, we used to say ish. As a euphemism for uh, the S word? No, no, no. (laughs) It just means ick. Somebody would say something and we'd go, ish. <laughs> and I haven't heard it since leaving there and only discovered as an adult that it was specific to Minnesota. Is that right? Well, hey, Andrea, you want to play a game? Yes, please. All right. <laughs> Always. Okay. Well, here's how we play. Grant's going to give you a sentence with a blank in it. Oh. And, and then he'll give you three words that might fill in that blank. So your job is to figure out which slang word fits best but you can't just pick out a word. You have to show us your work. And you have justify to justify it. Yeah, right. You have to justify your choice, just like showing your work in algebra. <laughs> okay? And I haven't seen the question, so I'll be joining you on the player side of the table so we can, we can talk about uh, the process. Oh, good. Okay? All right. Well, here we go. Here's the first sentence. Well, doctor, your first day at County General has been a doozy. Two births, a death, and a motorcycle accident. What do you say to blank down at the bar? Is the blank A, liver rounds down at the bar, B, sharp starters down at the bar, or C, monkey straps down at the bar? I love, I mean, my first inclination, of course, is liver rounds because it has to do with drinking uh, and and uh, destroying the liver and making making rounds. So that sounds very doctory, but that sounds like something that you would then make up. Yeah, or give to your puppy. 
Uh, <laughs> open the little plastic bag and give them a live <laughs> oh, around. Oh, I see. If they do a trick. And sharp starters. I don't even know where to begin on that. Monkey straps I love. I'm hoping that's the answer, but I know we have to figure out why. Um, Martha, what, why would it be monkey straps? How can we tie that into a doctor doing something? Well, gosh, you know, monkey, I'm, th- I'm thinking bananas, so I'm thinking maybe it's some kind of drink with an, you know... Like a pina colada only with bananas. <laughs> I mean, do you think it could be slang for stethoscope? You know, like Ooh. it hangs around your neck. Ooh, and then you, you stick them in your ears and you look sort of monkey. Mm. And and if you're wearing them, the uh, chicks at the bar know you're a doctor. <laughs> so I, I'm going to go. I, yes, I'm going to go with Are they, are they know to strap. stay away. <laughs> right. um, you're going to go with monkey straps? Yes, I'm, I'm sticking to that inexplicably. When I take trips, I always love to take little detours and go to the side road, but I always get back on my road and go in the right direction, and you should have stayed with liver rounds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Your logic there was impeccable. Oh. It's when doctors go out for drinks with other doctors. It's a play on the double meaning of rounds. You know, a doctor will do his rounds by right. checking on all his patients and then buying rounds in a bar, buying drinks for people that you're with. Oh. And, of course, as you said, liquor is bad for your liver. All right. And what is a monkey strap in real life? A monkey strap is actually the name of those straps that you might hang on to, say, in a helicopter or at the top of a telephone pole when you're repairing something up there. It's it's They also call them jump straps. Oh, yes. Some cars have them, too. Hmm. But usually they're not called that in a, an automobile. All right. Well, here's another chance. Are you ready? Yes. All right. There's a filly in the 4th at Belmont called Sweet Mama's Got Your Number, and I just know she's a winner. I wouldn't ordinarily try to put the blank on you, but just this once, give me a couple hundred dollars, and I'll pay you back tomorrow. (laughs) So, is it A, I wouldn't ordinarily try to put the mark on you? Is it B, put the tail on you, T-A-I-L, or C, put the bite on you, B-I-T-E? Wow. Well, of course, gamblers use marks. Yeah. And maybe with horse racing, they use tails. And put the bite on you. Um, bite. I, I'm going to go with monkey straps. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't ordinarily put the monkey straps on you, but you're my kind of guy. <laughs> well, hello. Let's see. Don't um, bring me into your so, fantasy okay, life. See, this is my same problem, that Mark seems really straightforward. Uh-huh. And tail has a nice kind of horse thing happening. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, but I guess in a gambling sense, I guess the mark makes the most sense. <laughs> so that's your I answer? I give up. Yeah, You're... I'm, I'm going to say put the mark it, then, I guess. Just it's because the it bite. Like a gambling if, term. Andrea, it's the bite. The if you bite. put the bite on somebody, you, like, oh. hit them up for money. Oh, maybe because no one borrows money from me because I always have less than they do. <laughs> well, I was, I was hoping, Andrea, that you might be familiar with the Spanish term mordita which oh. means it's uh, uh, Spanish for a bribe. It's You take a little bite. It literally translates into English oh. as a little bite. Oh. Mm. That's so, sweet. Yeah, and, and a lot of languages actually have that connotation. of It's kind of like somebody reaching over at the restaurant in your plate and sticking their fork in and taking some of your meal. You know, it's kind of that's the kind of bite we're talking about here. And sometimes there's an understanding that that money is not really a loan and actually will never be given back. So. 
Hmm. Hmm. Andrew, this was great fun. I love the way your mind works. Oh, thank you. That's sweet. I'm going to give you the opportunity to learn even more because by way of saying thanks, we're going to send you a copy of Grant's book. It's called The Official Dictionary of Unofficial English. That's fantastic. Thank, Thank you, for you for playing letting with us today. Play. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye, Andrea. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've got a question about how best to use English, give us a call, one 929 9673 That's 1-877-WAYWARD. Or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Marge Thomas from Indianapolis. Well, hiya, Marge. What's going on? Well, um, I wondered if you or Martha knew anything about something that my dad used to say to me. If my slip was showing, he would say, who do you think you are? Miss Astor. (laughs) So, do you know who Miss Astor is? You know, I think that could be any one of the many Astors. As you said, Marge, they were one of the wealthiest families in the country For a long time, the term Miss Astor or Mrs. Astor was something that you might say to somebody who's a little bit overdressed. Oh. And um, so I suspect, I'm not sure, but I suspect that, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a way of sort of pulling somebody back down a little Uh bit from that level. But I love that, that, uh, that he was using that kind of euphemism. Now, where did you grow up? In South Carolina. In the low country. In the low uh-huh. country. Uh-huh. Right, uh-huh. right. And did you hear, Marge, any other expressions to indicate that your slip was showing? Well, uh, no, not really. Uh, that was the only one with the slip showing. Now, one of my friends said that her grandfather used to say that uh, she or people were dressed up like Mr. Astor's pony or Mrs. Astor's pony. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked about the slip showing because I collect these euphemisms for slips showing. You know, we don't really care so much about it today, do we, Marge? Well, do the, well, do the young ladies don't wear slips today. Well, that's what I was right. just going to say. I, I, I remember my mother lecturing my sisters about that, and uh, and most of the young ladies don't wear them today, do they? They the dresses take into account something. Right, like, and know. when I think when he was telling me, um, you know, it was the dresses were pretty short. And so I think, if I recall correctly, since it was the South, we just wore half slips. Mm-hmm. And so they they are kind of notorious for showing. Uh-huh. So, so you were wearing really short skirts? Oh, yes. Thigh, <laughs> thigh scrapers, as they call them? Well, <laughs> my mother used to make our dresses, and she'd say, Are you sure you want this dress this short? <laughs> Well, Marge, you're bringing back great memories for me because I tell you, I will never forget the time that my Aunt Margaret, who grew up in Virginia, said to me, Martha Ann, you have a Ph.D. And I just gave her this look and she said, you have a Ph.D., petticoat hanging down. (laughs) I'll never forget that, but I think especially Southern women have this way of, you know, I mean, you can just, and it's from a different era, you know, you can just hear somebody sidling up to you and saying, Marge, Mrs. White is out of jail. (laughs) Yeah, the the bras show now, and uh, so I doubt if the petticoat would be, you know, a big thing. (laughs) (laughs) The bras show now. (laughs) 
right, right. That's worn yeah. as an outer garment, so I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's really interesting. So we're really talking about a, a kind of linguistic fossil, huh? Right, right, I think so. Yeah, so I think the answer is that it was one of the asters. We're not sure which one, but uh, the <laughs> idea is, is somebody who's who's really dressed up. Okay, all right. Well, thank you so much for your call, Marge. This was a nice avenue of discussion to go down. <laughs> thank you. Thank uh, you very much. All right, all right bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've got a question or would like to pass on some old saying that your grandparents or parents used to say, we're the ones who want to hear it. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Jack. I'm calling from Madison, Wisconsin. I had a question, one of those things that occurs to you in the gray area between sleep and waking up when you're waking up in the morning. Oh, yeah. I was wondering, the idea occurred to me, the similarities between the verb flay, F-L-A-Y, and the noun flay, as in a flay mignon. I wondered whether those two words shared some kind of original word or whether something got carried over in a translation or something like that and um no the short answer is no they're they're etymologically distinct and i think it's mostly and probably maybe completely a coincidence that they okay are spelled similarly sound similar mm-hmm. and can on occasion describe similar acts uh-huh. the Filet, F-I-L-E-T, I know some people pronounce it fillet, comes from an old French word meaning thread, uh, which itself is based on a Latin word, filum, F-I-L-U-M, which is the same place that we get the word filament. So okay. that's filet. And then flay, F-L-A-Y, comes from the old English flayen, which is Germanic and not from Latin. And it's got roots in a variety of Germanic languages. And so, ultimately, these two have separate roots. Um, There is something, a kind of cross-pollination that happens sometimes in English where two similar words, I I should say, where they sound similar or are spelled similarly, sometimes will lend or reinforce certain meanings in other words. Mm -hmm. It's possible that it happened here that fillet and flay, um, you know, one can mean take the skin off and the other one can mean to to cut into very thin slices. It's possible that they've reinforced each other, but... uh, I don't see any evidence of it. No, and, no and none common of the, ancestry, just pure coincidence. Right. But you know what? I'm, I'm digging the fact that this is what you were thinking about at night before you go <laughs> to bed. Me too. <laughs> um, Next yeah, kindred, time you... <laughs> kindred soul, definitely. Yeah. So. All right. <laughs> Sweet Take dreams. care of yourself. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye now. one 877 for your antelucan Revelries and uh, that's one eight seven seven wayward, or you can email us to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hey, this is uh, Jed. I'm calling from Lake Owen Camp in Cable, Wisconsin. All right, how's it going there? Uh, it's going pretty good. What's on your mind up there? Uh, we originally came up with the question a couple months back when Oliver, our 16 month old son, just started using his words and. Um, first sounds out of his mouth were pretty much mama and dada and i think it was my wife who originally said you know i wonder if uh that's something that adults assigned or if kids essentially assigned that because the kids were making those noises anyway so 
being that there's two parents, they each got to pick one, Mama and Dada. So mm-hmm. Great the question. The question revolves around instinctive language. Are there sounds that are instinctive for, uh, for humans to make uh, for certain feelings and emotions? Mm-hmm. Well, Jed, it sounds like you're in a similar situation to me. I have a 16-month-old son as well. <laughs> play and date, he, play date. <laughs> and he is a talker. He's a talker. You know, I'm a lexicographer. I, I edit dictionaries for a living besides the show. And my wife is a linguist who also is a dictionary editor. And, of course, this question has come up in our house, too. And we actually have the books that will provide the answers to this question. So if you That's want, I, I can, called you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you the short take on this because it's a really huge subject. Much work has been done. And I'm going to try to summarize a lot of academia into just a few lines, okay? okay. So um, I'll, post some, I'll post some links to some stuff on our website later where you can follow up for a lot more detail. But the short version is, we don't know. But what's really interesting, and almost all of the languages spoken by humans in the world, mama and dada, and, and words for mama and ma- mother and father, began with what we call labial sounds. These are M, B, P. D is a little different, but it's close. It's, the, it's basically those sounds with the lips parted and the tongue forward on the teeth, D, uh-huh. maybe on the palate. And, and so throughout, I mean, lots, of, and sometimes they're reversed. Sometimes um, what is baba in, in one language means uh, father and baba in another language means mother. Mm-hmm. But they often refer to mother and father because these are the two most important people in a baby's life. A life. So they're going to remember these words or learn these words first. But there's another problem with this. We're saying, you know, is it hardwired in the baby's head? And I think that's what you were getting at, right? Yeah, and, or, or that... Maybe that uh, originally I was thinking that 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 was the, the the first few noises the baby makes because those are those are you know that's how that's how we develop our speaking mm-hmm. and you know two adults said oh look he's calling me mama oh look he's calling me dada <laughs> it's it's possible we'll never know but what's interesting is think about it a different way when you want to communicate to a baby even one that you know doesn't understand you and doesn't speak what do you do. You speak in baby language. You use really simple sounds yourself, mm-hmm. right? And those sounds do tend to be things that are just issuing air through the lips and the lips making like a motorboat sound or humming. These very simple, nothing that's happening with your tongue in the back of your throat, no complicated kind of um, acrobatics in there at all. Uh-huh. And so maybe it's possible that it was the other way and then the parents originally, um, by using baby talk, suggested to the kid certain sounds. And it's it could work either way. It's a kind of a chicken and an egg problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, Jed, this is great. This is good. Um, and uh, by all means, check out the site in a, in, a, in a few days. I'll post some stuff online, and um, maybe we'll continue the conversation there. We'll talk. I'm sure everyone has stories about the remarkable learning abilities of children. It's just really amazing how how quickly and how well they can learn. Yeah, when I bring it up to other parents, they they say the same things. So great. Thank you so much for calling, Jed. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. And you can give us a call at 1-877-929-9673 or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, don't worry. You can leave us a message anytime, day or night. Call 1-877-929-9673. You can also email your questions to words at waywardradio.org or join the conversations going on right now in our discussion forum. You'll find them at waywardradio.org slash discussion. 
Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett, inviting you to join us next week right here on Away With Words. So long. Later. Either, either, neither, neither. Let's call a whole...